welcome to another episode of the Games and Schools and Libraries podcast. I'm Donald Dennis, and it's an amazing episode here for a variety of reasons. First of all, I get to be with the spectacular co-host, Kathleen Mercury herself. Thank you. No, this morning I was on with Bez on one of her live streams, and then I've had two other episodes with me drop this past weekend, one with um, Ellie Dix in the UK, and then with uh, Our Turn podcast. So I'm not saying I'm hitting maximum media saturation, but dang, I'm trying. Hello, Donald. There's never enough Kathleen Mercury. And yeah, we don't we don't often talk about all the other shows and stuff we do here on this one since it is a pretense at our professional podcast. Mm. Uh, but yeah, we are also doing the Inverse Genius podcast and on board games. And you've mentioned a couple of things that you've been on and that's amazing. Mm-hmm. But there's someone else here with a podcast legacy going farther back even than right. the ancient on board games. And that is a legit. I was going to say a legitimate one. A legend of podcasters himself, <laughs> Stephen Conway of The Spiel. Yay! You can almost see my eyes rolling. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> Are you wearing your special jacket? No, I you know I bring that out for special occasions. I don't wear it around the house. <laughs> oh, so this is not a special occasion is what you're saying to all of our listeners out there? Well... We're, we're not even guaranteeing pants. So <laughs> That's yeah, true. Yeah. yeah, come on. That's true. COVID rules apply. COVID rules yeah, apply. Yeah, COVID rules apply. <laughs> Uh, so, Stephen, uh, real quick, let us know where you can be found on the social internet, should you desire it. So, uh, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is the Spiel. Uh, websites, website-wise, you can find me at thespiel.net, thespielfoundation.com, and majorfun.com. Uh, the Spiel has a Facebook page, and I'm on Instagram as well. Links in the show notes, as always. Well, excellent. Uh, so... Unlike some of our other shows where we talk about what we've been playing, we just assume that uh, that we've been working too hard for play <laughs> at this point. Uh, so I brought you on specifically to talk about the Spiel Foundation and what you're doing. But if you could give uh, a, a quick summary about you know the Spiel as a whole sure. before we get into your foundational goodness. Yeah, uh, so the Spiel started in 2006. We're mm. headed into, we just started our 16th season of the show. Yikes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of, I don't know whether to laugh or just be amazed or cry a little bit, but it's it's <laughs> an amazing thing to have been doing this for 16 years. Uh, yeah. It started as kind of just a hobby and has grown into something way more than that, including and, you know, really uh, <laughs> the foundation is absorbed. The, the spiel itself. Uh, the spiel is a show about games and the people who love them. We've been producing variety format episodes for 16 years. Each one features an in-depth review of a game. And we actually have some uh, wonderful contributors now that uh, contribute segments as well. Shortly after uh, the inception of the spiel, we decided to start a not-for-profit called the foundation in 2007. And uh, the original gist of the foundation was to uh, gather games to donate to children's hospitals and senior centers. And we thought, oh, this would be kind of a nice thing to do here in Indianapolis. And it'll take us a while to you know, get a few games and start that process. And within a year, we had blanketed all of Indianapolis and most of Indiana in terms of senior centers and uh, children's hospitals. So we set kept just sort of raising the bar higher and higher to the point that now we're an international uh, (gasps) game charity. We're sending games to uh, Canada and we've expanded the scope of the foundation tremendously to include schools and libraries, boys and and girls clubs, uh, shelters, women's shelters, homeless shelters. We're actually working on trying eventually to get into prisons with our uh, game bundles uh, as well. We have, we send out five games in every bundle all free and all prepped and packed and ready to go. So the minute you open the bundle, they're all ready to play. Uh, The idea is that, you know, play, we think play is a really important, vital aspect of life. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's a powerful, positive force uh, for change and for good in the world. And it doesn't just, it's not just for the domain of kids, although that's certainly an important part of it. And uh, so all of the things we that we do around the foundation, from the media network with the Spiel to the Major Fun Award and the Spiel Approval Award, which are part of the media network, to the bundle program, we're actually getting ready to uh, uh, have our own building 
uh, our own facility here in Indianapolis, the, the center for play, the DeCoven center for play, which will have a warehouse for our bundle program and play space. And we'll have our own game library. Yeah. I'm going wow. to need help with uh, an advice from you all when it comes to that. Uh, and so we're, we're dreaming big and we're acting big too. And <laughs> it's great nice. to see how much we've grown. I'm, blabbering on there there you have it there's I, that wasn't That's really a lot sh- though that wasn't really short i have to apologize for that but you know. i love that you're apologizing for how prolific you are with all the work that you're doing to try to spread games all over the place can i just point out Stephen conway that perhaps you should be very proud of what you've done and i know you are you don't need to downplay it i mean because this is amazing i think that you know especially as someone in education you know, we using games and all that, like one of the hardest, there's so many barriers to having people have access to really good, high quality games. Yeah. And um, you're doing so much to remove those. Cost is a huge barrier. You know, just getting games is a huge barrier. And so you're doing an amazing work there. Well, thank right. you very much. I really appreciate hearing that. <laughs> mm-hmm. That goes from both of us. That's, that's from both right. of us. Right. Ditto. Yeah. Well, okay. I have a question about your, so your facility that you're building, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm assuming this is something that you were planning on having open before COVID. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, the idea was we, we launched our big announcement with our expansion last year, the week before COVID really took over all of our lives. So oh, you know, wow, okay. e- everything has just been, you know, right. turned, on, turned on its head in terms of the plans that we had for uh, things, but it's still in the offing and it's still, I mean, I'm doing lots of commercial real estate shopping and that, that sort of thing right now. And okay, good. Applying- so it's still happening. Oh, it's it's absolutely still happening. It's just the timeline is yeah. so fungible that I can't be like, hey, opening this fall or anything like that. Right. We're, we're applying for, I have a assistant now helping me uh, work on grant applications too, to sort of uh, help with staffing as well as funding for the building and things. And we have an ongoing, you know, uh, we're a 501c3, so we certainly accept donations just from any old person who wants to support what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Nice. So, uh, okay, one of the things that always happens is someone who's excited about games and is a teacher or a librarian goes, well, I like this game. I'm going to use it for my job, right? And, you know, diplomacy may not be the best game to bring into a casual librarian game setting or that kind of thing. How is it that you sort of hone in on the bundles that you select and find worthy to distribute to the various institutions? I assume it's not the same five pack of games that goes out to all of these different uh, institutions. Uh, no, but there is a lot of interesting crossover since we started. I can speak to it first from the hospital and senior center. And since we're branching out into uh, library and schools and so many more areas, uh, it, it really expands our ability to kind of customize bundles for different needs. Uh, mm-hmm. When it was just hospitals and seniors, one of the interesting things was finding games that sort of bridge that gap, like Quirkle is a good example. It worked wonderfully well in hospital bundles and for seniors as well. Um, so we often tried to look for games that could kind of wear different hats in different situations. Now that we're developing, I, the thing I didn't mention is in this interim time, Kathleen, since we wanted to expand, but didn't have our own building, mm-hmm. several publishers, Ravensburger in particular came to me last late May and said, Hey, we have about almost 7,000 games we'd like to donate to you. Whoa. Uh, can, uh, would you want them? And I said, let me think about it. Yes. <laughs> right. Uh, but uh, figuring out, you know, oh my gosh, 7,000 games. I'm used to dealing with like a thousand or 500. We have a mm-hmm. rented warehouse now uh, that's in Anderson, Indiana, about an hour north of me. And uh, we have almost between 11 and 12,000 games in stock now. And so my goal, my goal, Don, is to basically have a variety of games that when different institutions approach me, I can say, okay, what age range are you looking to kind of serve with the bundle? And what is the experience level? Mm. Uh, you know, the, the players that you're going to have, are they totally new to games? Are these people who are sort of getting into games? And then I can use that knowledge to kind of cherry pick through the inventory. So I don't just have the same five games. There are some sort of evergreen titles. Like we have a ton of labyrinth, 
from Ravensburger, which that's uh-huh. just a, that's just a great game, and right. it'll, mm-hmm. it can go into pretty much any bundle. But we also have copies of like Everdell. That's probably you know that's a much more specified, very specialized kind of game that you have to look for the right homes for for those. Yeah. Right. 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 Uh, now, when you get get games in from a publisher, are these all games that you purchase, or do most of them come in donations, like from Ravensburger, or how does this this happen on the back end? It's it's a mixed bag. So um, we we will absolutely we won't just you know I try to use my expertise when a, a publisher comes to me and they say we have games. I don't just take everything. I look at right. it and think, oh, can I find a use case for this? And and most cases I can, and we're more than happy. And it's so, we're so grateful to have so many publishers who want to work with us in that capacity. But we also absolutely, we started out, uh, buying games and me approaching, you know, games, ha- uh, publishers hat in hand and saying, uh, Hey, here's what we plan to do. Would you be willing to sell us games at cost or around cost? So you're not losing, you know, anything off of it, but it allows us to put more of your games out into the world. And so that's, that's often, uh, a way that we approach it as well. So it's kind of a mixed bag anymore. It's, I have the luxury of saying so many people are like, Hey, we've got 500 games. Would you like them? And Mm -hmm. we'll, and we're happy to accept them if we think there's a fit with our, you know, with the bundles, but we certainly, you know, if I, I identify a particular title, I'm like, Ooh, I think that would be an amazing fit. I often will reach out to a publisher and say, Hey, would you like to work with us and maybe cut us a little bit of a deal just cause you know, it, it's also a tax uh, write off since we are a 501 C three to, you know, if they donate. So uh, I am, currently preparing to move internationally and I have sold the vast majority of my game collection. I think I have gotten rid of about five, 600 games in the last like six months or so total with a, you know, relatively small curated collection going with me. And one thing that happened in my last most recent sale was um, I had all these games listed and then I had someone offer to buy the whole lot just, you know, she was going to say, I'll, I'll let you know what I can do. And she wanted to donate them to local teachers here in the city of St. Louis. And it was kind of a weird moment because I turned that down and I said, thank you very much. But there, I had two reasons for doing so. One is I had a lot of games that I knew people would want. And so if somebody wanted access to one of the games I was selling, because I was selling them pretty cheap, you know, that's great. They get a game they want, they get to play it. I remove something from my, my stock. I'm happy. But the other reason was is, and especially being someone who works in education with games and stuff, is there's so many companies and, you know, for good reasons, would love to get their games into schools. This is something that we've talked a lot about. I'm on Gamma's Education Advisory Committee. It's how can we expand how schools can get access to games. But part of the problem is if I were just to donate all these games, I could see them sitting in some space you know, and mm-hmm. people who weren't gamers having no idea like what to do with them. And it seemed kind of, I don't, you know, like it's like, I'm sorry I have to turn you down because to say like, I'd rather sell them to people versus give them away <laughs> all as a donation, probably to her rang weirdly. And I'll clarify at some point, I'm sure. But when it comes to the experience level of games and really curating games, um, I think that's one of the most important things that you talked about, because if you send like the wrong type of game to an organization, like it will just sit there. So what do you do to try to help people who, you know, are maybe new to games? Like what do you do to help support these games actually getting played once you get them shipped out? That you've hit the nail on the head in terms of one of my major concerns when I started doing this, because I'm like, you know, uh, part of it was being inspired by seeing just these crappy games sitting Mm -hmm. (laughs) at at hospitals or senior centers or in libraries not being used and thinking, oh, my gosh, am I just increasing the, you know, it's they're just going to sit there and collect dust. Mm -hmm. I haven't really solved the problem. You know, yes, they have access to it now, which is good, Mm -hmm. but kind of I've always thought and we're on the cusp of doing this if when the world ever starts kind of spinning on its axis again here I think we can get this up and running uh quickly and that is we're slowly developing over the past you know decade uh, a network of volunteers a kind of regional mm-hmm. network of volunteers and that ha- has always been sort of the the peanut butter and jelly of of the the idea which is mm-hmm. to be able to say you know if I 
drop games into, you know, the Missouri, into the St. Louis area um, mm-hmm. to be able to have boots on the ground there and say, hey, um, volunteers in that area, I just want you to know, I put bundles out into these locations. Here is the contact number of this library or this school that to have sort of ambassadors that are willing to go in and at least like I've done this locally here at the hospitals or at senior centers, uh, run like a single almost one-off game night where you Mm -hmm. kind of educate the staff. Yeah. That then they have some basis because a lot of them, you know, we're, (laughs) we're in rarefied air here. A lot of people, as much as we love to say everybody loves games and has played games. So many people just don't know about this world and right. just having that ambassador makes such a huge difference because suddenly they're like, Oh, well uh, their impressions of what these games are, are mm-hmm. much different than what the reality is. If you've exercised good judgment in terms of what games, you know, <laughs> you're not putting D mocker on the, <laughs> the hospital floor, you know, at the, in a, kids library or something like that as long as you paired up with that sort of curation of the titles and then part two is having people that are at least available for questions if not kind of that follow-up experience i think that seals the deal and we haven't been able to make good on that to a large extent yet but i feel like that that's a very solvable problem and the community is so willing and open right wants, wants to play right 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 yeah, no, I mean, but, I, I, I totally get that. I totally get that. And it certainly does feel like a way to sort of extend the community a whole lot because yeah. not only are we just excited to play with more people, then it's going to make the service extend beyond just the games that you're handing off because I'm not going to go to uh, a place and they're saying, oh, we're playing with these games without offering to bring some of my own game collection to show off or share as well. <laughs> so you're going to get a larger value out of the network than just the games that are donated. I hadn't even yeah. thought of that. That's an excellent point. Well, and and the nice thing, too, I think for publishers is, you know, if you've got people that are basically willing to do free demos of their games, you've got people willing to do free demos of their games, you know, and, and like I don't I. I think it cons people should be paid, but if they're working through this nonprofit, yeah. I think, you know, that's a less of a gray area, you know? And I think, um, cause even like, like your own, do you do, do you ever do, or have you thought about doing your own like, like tutorial videos that would go along with it? Or you just, I mean, I know there's so much out there on the internet that might be a wheel you don't need to reinvent. Or even pointing at tutorials that already exist. Yeah. One of the things, and maybe you guys can give me some feedback. One of the things I thought about was having like sort of a quick start, uh, thing because the rule book is so intimidating for some people yes, just sort of having a yes. single sheet like here are the bare bones obviously that can't apply to some games but in a lot of cases the games we're donating having mm-hmm. sort of a quick reference sheet that like hey welcome to this game here are the things you know to get going and then maybe have a qr code or something right. that i mean if it's not us i mean long term we hope part of the idea with the facility is to have uh, a media set up, you know, for the mm-hmm. spiel network. Mm-hmm. But one of the ideas was to be able to have like kids come in and do instructional videos for other kids. Yeah. Right? I think that's, that's super huge. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, it's a great way for kids to develop their um, communication skills. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my adolescent professor, adolescent psychology professors said, if you don't teach kids to problem solve and communicate by the time they're 12, you will spend the rest of their lives trying to fix the problems caused by their inability <laughs> to problem solve and communicate. So, I mean, that's gaming lends itself to problem solving and that communication aspect is huge. I think that's a great idea. Yep. Yeah. For the library, we've got uh, the games that we're circulating in them, we have a URL to the uh, the how to play when it's available and a QR code. Mm-hmm. Though I think QR codes are quickly becoming a thing of the past. I don't think that they are. You know is, what, though? Yeah. I disagree. I have used QR codes more recently than I – like I, to a degree that I'm surprised by. I think because a lot of phones have them built in now to like their scanning apps. Um where you can just like, it's so much rather than having to have like a special app and all that, like it's become a, really you use an sweet. Apple phone. Don't you? I do use an <laughs> there you Apple go. phone. That's Androids. It's not built in. Well, at least none of the ones I've ever owned because okay. it's not a thing. Well, I'm just saying then maybe Mr. Android should think about it because it works pretty well, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, but, but either way, like whatever, I mean, QR codes though are a really easy way provided that Mr. Android helps you with that. Um, yeah. I, but I think, uh, 
Right. The point is, is to make it really easy for people to access a, a tutorial video because like, rule books are intimidating. I don't, because it's one of the best examples when I have my students in the very in normal times, when they're starting my game design class, the first week, all they do is play games. They sit down at a table. I said, there's a box, there's a game in there, read the rules, play the game. And so just even observing like how they, you know, how they take turns, how they communicate, how they go through the rules. And for some of these games, like, hey, that's my fish, you know, which is front and back of a page of piece of paper. And it is a really simple game and the rule book is just fine. It's interesting when kids don't get that right, you know, cause they either try to like rush through it and they miss a detail, you know, that sort of thing. And that's where a really easy, simple game. And I think for a lot of people, you know, having to see all kinds of unfamiliar diagrams and everything, you know, it, it takes a moment where you kind of have to like, you, like you open it up, you're like, Oh, Oh. And then you have to like, really hold on, give me a minute. Like it's not going to be the easiest, fastest, quickest thing. So I think, cause I'm just thinking about the practicalities of what we're talking about, because I mean, I obviously am a huge proponent of games in schools and libraries and, but just getting people to actually open the box and play the box. I think that's an interesting problem because that's what you have the least control over, but what you're trying to have happen the most. Far too many rule books read like they were written where the person who wrote them was paid by the word. It's, like, <laughs> it's too much stuff. So right. true. It's yeah. a, I mean, it's a legitimate barrier to entry by yeah. anyone who isn't already actively interested and engaged in what we're doing that, I mean, I run up against that all the time. Just last week I delivered uh, bundles to all the branches of the Indianapolis public library system. And I made sure I put a letter in there with my contact information. And of course, you know, nobody's playing the games in the library right now, but I made clear to all the staff, like saying, please reach out to me if you're going to, you know, if you want to read the rules uh, to be ready before, you know, people are back in the library and you have any questions, let me know. And hopefully once things turn around, we'll have volunteers that could even come in and, you mm-hmm. know, teach, but you could definitely see as they're unpacking the game, some of their, the librarians eyes sort of glazing over and going, Oh, I don't know. And then some of them are like, Oh, I have this one at home. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah totally. <laughs> I mean, that's definitely the case. I mean, the number of students that I have when I first started doing this, who had ever heard of anything in the hobby world. Like I remember when a kid talked about how they had Puerto Rico at home and I was like, what? I mean, that was <laughs> notable. And now it's, there's, it's so much more commonplace. Um, so that's good. I mean, I think honestly, I had a big hand in that in my school district because there's a lot of families that I've taught a lot of siblings that I've taught, you know, who are friends with other kids. So I definitely think I've helped to make my school district very gaming friendly, but there's, but also there were times when kids would bring in games that I had not talked to them about. I had not ever taught them about I'm like, Oh, they are finding out about this on their own. Like, that's cool. How you know? awesome so, is that? <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm like, no, we, I've never talked to you about Sheriff of Nottingham. Go on with your bad apples, you know? So it's good. Nice. <laughs> so I've got a couple of questions real quick. Sure. Um, when you send these boxes out, are they all stamped or stickered with Spiel Foundation identification? Like people know that this is where it came from. It was a grant from the Spiel Foundation. Absolutely. Not only on the inside of every box is a a label saying, you know, this game was donated by the Spiel Foundation and has a little thank you spot for all our uh, publisher sponsors. But all the games, this is something you guys will probably be like, this man is insane. Every single game that we uh, send out, the components have been punched and bagged and prepped as though it was a game sitting on my shelf at home. So they are ready to play the minute you. You open are the bundle. insane. That that is crazy talk right there. Well, <laughs> there's but there's method. There's method to my madness, and this started as a result of some feedback from both the senior centers and the hospitals where we kind of started the. The back at the beginning of the foundation. And that was people, uh, them losing pieces yep. constantly yep. and the oh, games yeah. being, you know, used and then being useless almost yep. immediately. And I'm like, Oh man, I can, that's a solvable problem. I right. can at least because so many games, it's not as much the case anymore. A lot of games will provide like plastic baggies or things, but even again, we're talking barriers to entry that alone can you know the game is great if the pieces get lost suddenly it's not useful so it seems so overwrought but it's such an essential part of this whole thing if you want that game to have literally a shelf life at the institution and be able to be enjoyed Mm -hmm. by lots and lots of people 
I totally agree because people are used to just taking Monopoly with all of that clutter and just slapping the lid on it and going. And if Monopoly is really missing anything like a house or something like that, like, eh, you know, because who knows how often it gets played. But the smart thing about having everything punched and bagged is people can see how the game should be when they put it back. Because mm-hmm. if you had an unpunched game with plastic bags on top of it, that is not how people would put the game back. So I think that I didn't be- say it was a bad idea. No, 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 no. I think I think no, but that's a, it's like I totally agree that that is what you have to do as one more like kind of fail safe measure to get games in play and to stay in play is as much work as that is, you know, I mean, I know you like a nice little tipple every now and then I'm not saying how you do your work, Stephen, but you know, (laughs) (laughs) now now, I feel validated, but now consider the fact that I have almost 12,000 games in a warehouse and due to COVID I'm the only person punching and prepping all these games for bundles. So since last June, I go up there two, three times a week whenever I can, when basically I can do it almost by myself because of COVID. And I'm literally looking at these, you know, Indiana Jones style racks of games. You don't have oh something else come in on the other side of the warehouse and start working from that direction. Too. Well, I mean, it's a rented warehouse. So, you know, I'm, I'm there, you know, on the, their good graces and they have employees. So the deal that we've struck is just, you know, uh, there's only certain days that they're willing to kind of have the extra interlopers in there and so it's just nice packing and punching things so there are days that i'd love to be taking a bottle up there with me kathleen and go what the heck have i gotten (laughs) this was a dumb idea this is so dumb but i yet but yet i know in my heart it's totally necessary but man right lots of time to listen to podcasts though i guess yeah Uh, audiobooks and podcasts are my friends so the other question i had was if you're donating these to a library or well other institution that doesn't necessarily have only on-site play, uh, are they allowed to be circulated? So if I had them, it, say if Polly's Island was lucky enough to be a recipient of, of a fine, fine stack of games, Can would it? those be ones that we would need to keep on-site or would they be ones that we would allow to be put in our circulating collection so that folk could check them out and take them out? You'd be absolutely welcome to use them however you see fit. They don't come with any strings attached whatsoever. I mean, with, the games are meant to be played and as long mm-hmm. as they're played, we're happy and that's that's what we want to put them we want to give more people more access to play and that's that's really the goal we don't want to we want to make that as easy as possible and put the games in a situation that will get them played as much as possible so we would leave that up to the individual institutions that's a great question um do you have uh and I expect the answer is no but I could be very wrong and I hope I am a a cataloging record of the games so that when someone says I'm getting this game in and here's everything I need to know about it, that they can look at a spreadsheet and grab that information. Or is it something that if it came to us or to another library, they'd have to enter all that in or visit board game geek and just steal the information from there. Uh, you know, that's a really good idea. I have not done that to this point, but I probably should. That's an excellent idea. Like you're talking just sort of ludographic bibliographic information for them. Yeah. It's kind of entered in. Yeah, because we um, all of the games that we circulate are now in our in our catalog, our hmm. digital catalog, so people can look them up and find out what the game's about and how many players it works and all that kind of stuff. I yeah, I should do that. I, that you just I'm writing notes right now. I will. Uh, I could include a second page in because I always include a letter, you know, kind of yes. detailing well, who we are and what we're doing, and I could include a second page in there, being here, you know, here's all the salient information about each one. That's a really good idea. I have an idea should, too. Okay. I think that on the inside lid of your boxes, that when you, that instead of just like a little label, um, do like a full sheet type of label, which obviously is more expensive, but make it like a little guest book that if people have played the game, that they can sign their names on the line. Hmm. Or well, you could make a stamp out of that. So you yeah, or actually, yeah, you could even just like the bo- the top. That's true. You could just do it that way too. Like, please sign this box lid if you played it. You know, uh-huh. and I think. Yes, that's, that's good. Sort of like the old like card, ca- like the in yes. the library books where you could see who checked out the game before. Yeah, yeah, or, but it's just because I think you know people are like oh other people have played it. I bet if they survive this, we could survive Ticket to Ride too. You know that sort of thing. I love so it. How much how much thought do you put into oh if one piece gets lost out of this game, it's completely unplayable versus uh yeah eighty percent of the pieces could be lost out of this game and it would still be playable when adding them to your bundles. 
that's a huge factor in terms of the location that it's going. Like for hospitals, that was super important. Um, mm-hmm. And that was something that I kind of learned through the hospitals giving me feedback too, that, you know, they wanted games that could be kind of bulletproof if some of the stuff got lost. Yeah, that makes um, sense. But in other situations, since we've well expanded from there, that's not the case in every situation. So I'd say it's definitely still something that's on my mind. But mm-hmm. uh it's more about kind of developing an invent, a warehouse of games that I can kind of tailor make the bundles to the needs of the different institutions. So it's not as, it's not as prevalent a concern as it once was. Does, uh, especially now with, you know, contagions being particularly important to all of us, the ability for it to be cleaned uh, or maintained have any impact or is it just a treat it like you'd treat a normal game and, and hope all's good. Uh, in terms of me delivering them or in terms of thinking how they're being used, like after how the they're being used, like it's like, do you want games with tile, you know, like hard plastic tiles uh, versus games with a thousand porous chips in them, uh, you know, or what have you? It's definitely something that's been on my mind because as I've been prepping these games and I've had to add, you know, de- lines because the games aren't coming in shrink to say, look, the games have been all punched and prepped, but they've all been, you know, cleaned and sanitized before they've been, you know, put away or whatever, just so that they people know that they're in good shape. They, these aren't used games, in other words. Um right. <sighs> I, I think that if I if I took that to the farthest extreme, it would limit the kind of games that I could choose pretty severely, sure. don't you think? Mm-hmm. Um, that I, I would I, – I don't think I can go that far. But yet, thinking in terms of having our own game library uh, with our own facility here, that's certainly something that I've been thinking about too in terms of if the games are going to – you know, stay within the play space or we're going to have a circulating collection, how you're going to deal with sanitizing and cleaning the games as they kind of right. come in and out. Do you, do you all have any suggestions on that? Cause that's, that's certainly on my mind, but I don't have an answer for it. We've just been setting our games aside for four days okay. before we even check it in. And then, you know, then it may not even go right back out to being circulated again, based on the, mm-hmm. the link, the half-life of the virus. Yeah. My, <laughs> yeah. my students have, uh, because this, I'm in the second, this is the semester where I teach seventh grade and that's when I do game design. And we started off not doing game design because um, I wasn't ready yet, like as far as how I would do it. And now what we're doing is we are taking a Google Slides presentation that someone has made and they have made um, versions of like popular kids games and like chess and checkers on Google Slides with images that you can drag around to play. (laughs) And so the kids are using that as the basis for what they're working on, but they really want to play physical games. They're like, but we could set it up and we could stand back. And it's like, you don't know how much I want that to happen, but it's tough. You know, it's really, really hard right now. I think, so I guess leading into that, what are the benefits right now for your long-term plans that this sort of lull is giving you? Mm. (sighs) Yeah, you are a lemons to lemonade person. Um, (laughs) I have no other option at this point. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess in terms of, us really having time to think things through mm-hmm. uh, and kind of fail in our brains before we have to fail for real with, you know, yeah. a huge outlay of cash mm-hmm. that I feel like that we may have avoided not all, but at least some pitfalls that we would have just face planted in uh, because we've been able to think things through and kind of realize what we think our needs really are. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we expand, because, you know, we're, we're actually thinking, you know, one of the tentpole things that we decided when we did this expansion was we want to be kind of an international game charity based on play and thinking in those big terms. Uh, I think the longer we have to kind of pull in a talented and way smarter than me group of people to kind of give me good advice like you smart people, mm-hmm. uh, the better off we are going to be when we actually go out and put something into action. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's I'm struggling. <laughs> that That's probably the best I can say. I mean, it's so hard. Yeah. It's so it is, hard. Oh, uh, Networking time. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, this is, this is so hard and it's hard to like 
put life on pause, you know, yeah. like, cause you, cause that's what you basically have to do. And so there's times we feel like, no, I need to be more productive than I am. But it's like, also there's the groundhog day nature of this right now. where just getting through a day in general can be considered success. You yeah. Know? So I, I'd say, I, I mean, developing a, a board of, I mean, we are, we keep the, the board of directors sort of intentionally small so we can be kind of lean and mean and make decisions that mm-hmm. need to be made quickly. But uh, what I'd really like to do, one of my goals this year is to develop an even broader and more diverse uh, board of advisors. Mm-hmm. that can, you know, I we can pass these things through and the different lenses of the people that are on that board of advisors will be such a boon, I think. And there's certainly time still to do that. It's not like you can't do that when life returns to normal, but I think that's something that we can focus on more directly now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How's that for flailing, <laughs> for finding well, that positive? Works. I mean... <laughs> I mean, well, and, and not trying to force positivity. No, no, no. Gosh knows we've we've all had like entirely too much of that. I mean, certainly I have, um, you know, in, in teaching right now. Um, yeah, sometimes no. Sometimes I don't got this. Don't know if you know that. Sometimes don't got this. No hash, hashtag don't got this. Um, <laughs> I always have something. The question is, do I have what I'm supposed to have or not? Yeah. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think some of my most successful moments have been when I've talked really frankly with my kids about how I'm struggling at times too. And they're like, finally, like, you know, we can talk for real, but that's okay. I mean, the thing is, is this is, you know, we'll just believe that this is temporary and you know, there's lots of good news. And so let's go back to talking gamey stuff. So, I mean, so what are things that if you had like pie in the sky, blank con blank checkbook, vast numbers of troops at your command. What would you most like to see happen for the spiel? And it's okay if it's unobtainable, but like if you really could do anything, like yeah. what would you most want to do and what do you think is possible? Um, well, I, I think so much of the the big goals are possible in the long term. And I think that's mm-hmm. why, you know, this is really my full-time gig now. And I'm just throwing myself at this with wild abandon just to see. I'd rather nice. fail doing this even yeah. if it doesn't work out than do anything else with life right now. I feel like I'm on a mission and it's a good one. And that I can legitimately see the Spiel Foundation becoming this international based game charity that focuses on play. We'll have a building mm-hmm. here in Indianapolis. I mean, some of the buildings that I'm looking at are huge building yeah. that will have a warehouse component for the bundle program. It will have a circulating and in-person uh, game library. I'm actually, i want to i'm going to take a small tangent here your situation with your games uh, getting rid of them that's mm-hmm. something that we've had several locals come to us and say hey could we i know you're going to have this game library in your facility could i donate games to this game library mm-hmm. heck yeah we'll take those games because we want to have you know a large not it's not we're not looking at it as an academic library right so right we're happy to take on games in that scenario but i've already talked to uh uh having uh not necessarily classroom but sort of a seminar space that we can show how games can be used not just within the sort of typical educational scenarios but how play and games uh, sneakily sort of infiltrate all different aspects of life and have room for speakers to come in and talk about that. Maybe even a little exhibit space within that facility, having that hub, that home mm-hmm. to be able to reach out in the, into the world and have a real impact. I think uh, not just within the United States, when we started delivering bundles to Canada last year, every hospital in two provinces in Canada hospital, not children's hospital has uh, some of our bundles. Uh, we're, uh, we had plans to be at Essen last year and who knows whether that'll happen this year, but we're going to start holding spielathons in Europe and <gasps> use the money there to be able to start putting things uh, in, in Europe. And I have friends in Taiwan that want to start uh, hosting things and we'll have bundles. So the idea, I guess the big dream would be to have uh, a facility that can enable the vision to spread out from that hub to other Mm -hmm. places in the world and that it's replicatable. You know, if somebody likes what we're doing, it doesn't have to be the giant facility, but that you can either come on board as a partner with us, or you can carry that torch to us that the idea that 
we're I'm trying to run up the flagpole here will well outlast me and that my game collection and that my love of games can do good when I'm dust. And if that can happen, I'll be a happy camper. Nice. Well, and I know that Scott Nicholson is doing a lot of stuff that is games for social change or positive change up in Canada. And how, how much of this game is in and of itself just good because it's a game that encourages play and that social connection versus games that also are intent on being social positive uh, yeah. have you been able to focus on or is that is that still outside of your scope at this moment I don't think that's outside the the scope at all I think that definitely is is on my mind and sort of maybe uh, t- parallel to that the idea with this giant tidal wave of games that I'm dealing with right now we're actually doing as much research as we can to try to put as many of these bundles into uh, underserved communities of color organizations within underserved communities of color across the US and Canada and doing our due diligence to try to find you know how can we provide access to play with this with these style games to places that would never have had access to them otherwise and that kind of feels like a kind of one, one a with what, with what you're talking about, doesn't it? Nice. Yeah. I mean, it certainly can depending on, you know, on the game, right? Right. It's, I think the actual, the issue of, uh, you know, this game is doing good by what it's contained or what it's teaching or what it's set, you know, telling versus the, uh, it is a game and it is a social thing. And it is, it is providing that other, that other sense of community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so two, two different topics that can work together, but don't always. Yeah, yeah. And I know I've talked with a lot of people over the last few years who are really trying to crack that, you know, how you create like a database of games that covers like, you know, all of the different like educational, like topics, disciplines, standards, and education. How could you create some sort of database of teacher created games and experiences that people could go to, you know, because especially in education, there's, you know, so much good work being done on an individual basis, but there really isn't any type of like overarching way of trying to gather so many of these resources under one place that could make it, you know, like really help people transform what you're doing. Because if I, you know, for example, I'll be teaching math in the spring, you're not in the, like at my new school. And if so, like absolute values, like the first chapter, let's just say, you know, are what games are out there on absolute value and all that, you know, like what games, like published games exist that could teach that concept. And, you know, and so, and that's one thing that it's just so piecemeal right now, that anything towards helping people gain access to, you know, finding the right game for what they're trying to do, because the great two enemies for teachers is time and money, you know, being able to buy games, which you're trying to solve that problem by sending them free games. And then the second is time to learn the game, time to play the game, time to break down the game, you know, adapt it and all that other stuff. So, there's so many, there's so many teachers out there with really good intentions to do it. And then they just run into walls where they're just like, they don't have time, you mm-hmm. know? So the more that's done to help is the, the better. So I have a, an interesting story that I think I don't have the name of the library off the top of my head, but we can certainly include it in the, the show notes. So mm-hmm. a lot of the inspiration behind what I'm talking about with this facility came from, we shot a documentary a, a, as yet still unreleased documentary in Belgium uh, a mm-hmm. few years ago. And I had a, chance to spend basically a day and a half in Bruges touring a a library at a teacher's college. They have, I think it's at the time, it was either the largest or second largest uh, publicly accessible game library in all of Europe, like 35,000 titles. And it was started by a math professor who his wife basically said, you need to get rid of part of your collection. And so he went, he went to the university and they said, oh yes. And Hey, would you like to stop being a math professor and be the curator of the collection? And so what they did was they built the entire library around pedagogical categorization. So they basically, if you go through their stacks, you know, it's here are the games that are good for teaching, uh, you know, uh, spatial awareness. Here are games that are good for teaching 18th century history. And the entire, that was the entire sort of lens through which they've divided the catalog. And basically I, 
in the many discussions I had with the, the, the gentleman, uh, I said, my gosh, have other people thought to kind of copy what you're doing here or, or are you willing to kind of share? And he was like, oh, we, that would be my dream is to have someone, you know, carry the torch. And that the light bulb went off in my head and said, oh, my gosh, uh, because they host, you know, seminars, not just for teachers, but for the community to show how games can be, you know, that you can look at. Uh, a game collection with those different sets of eyes and group them together so that it's easy for teachers or librarians to go, Oh, here's, here's the sec- here's the part of the collection that you that, that is a on. dream librarian job for me right there. I would love <laughs> to do something like that. that yeah. You know, it's like, Oh, count me in, yeah. but I live in a place with such a low population density that I'm lucky to have 300 games for circulation, mm-hmm. you know? But I guess my point, though, was that, I mean, maybe there's some value if I can connect you all with him or understanding how they separate their collection out. Those principles might be able to kind of be an overlay for even smaller collections, right? That sounds like a great place to start. Well, I know that you've got a time limit of how you can be, how long you can be with us. So I'm going to scratch all these other questions off the list. I'm going to wrap up. I can with, go for a little bit longer. Doug can wait. If you've got more things, that's not. No, a, uh, not well, you know, more reason to have you back on in the future. All right. All right. Um, but I'm going to wrap up with one is that uh, this being the games and schools and libraries podcast and you doing such fine, fine work. How does a school or a library get involved in this? Like, how can we say, you know, we've got five branches or, you know, 15 schools in our district or whatever it is. How do we talk to you in such a way, A, that we can just participate in general, but also maybe so that we can get some game support for what we're doing? It is super simple. You can send an email to Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, at thespielfoundation.com and just tell me you're interested. And I have a nice lovely spreadsheet that I will add you to right now. We're sort of, I'm because of the world being the way it is, there will not be an instant uh, send on any bundle because I'm still in the prep process for this giant pile of games. But the idea will be at one point when we can kind of get ahead of the curve to have a lovely bank of games all ready and prepped to go so that, Oh, you need a bundle. I can walk out to the stacks and go bloop, 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 bloop and, you know, put five in a box and send it out to you or, or, you know, negotiate if it's a bigger library system, you know, try to figure out how to, to navigate those waters. But it's as simple as sending me an email and starting that conversation. And we, we love to work with as many people as we can. Nice. What, what kind of information should we give you in our email? Like how many patrons we have or uh, what, what are you collecting from us? I think the most, the most important information is information about the audience of players that you think you want to try to reach with the, the bundles so that, Mm -hmm. because that helps me understand how to kind of put together the best bundle to suit the needs of, you know, your patrons. Um, so it's not so much about circulation or, or those things as it is just knowing, or, or even the the goal, the aspirational goal, right, of what you'd like to see. It doesn't even have to be what is now, but what you'd like to develop over time. Um, you know, who's your audience, or who do you who do you want your audience to be with the the bundles that you want us to send you? Right, Kathleen, do you have any final questions? Um, no, I think we covered it. So I think uh, I've asked my long rambling questions enough. Nice. So, well, all right. Um, Thank, thank you both that, for uh, including no, me. Thank you it's, very much. I, I'm very honored and happy to be here talking to you. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's good to be able to get, get the word out because we are expanding in, in, into, you know, un, not uncharted waters for us, but we really, you know, you have the community and the ears of the people that we, <laughs> we desperately want to help. And mm-hmm. that that's a huge help to not only your listeners, but to us too. Well, and I think one thing you could do is as you start to like, you know, for, to build awareness for this is maybe do like a little like town hall or like just like, you know, feedback session or even like to survey people, you know, as far as like, what can we do? You know, I think, yeah. um, cause getting other, cause getting people as invested in this, not just to be recipients, but partnerships, I think will go a long way to like building this into something really sustainable. Yeah. yeah, that was the next question is how can we help you? Um, I guess that I probably should have asked earlier, but well, we, what, we what else can we do besides having you on our show to help you do this? I mean, just k- keeping 
being mindful of of what our goals are in terms of, you know, if you know that there are people that would be helpful for me to know or to ha- to develop that network of connections, that's always super helpful because oftentimes that's all it takes is just that <laughs> the that them understanding what our goals are and we have the track record. You know, it's not like we just started this yesterday for people to understand we really do mean business and that like Haba, Tiffany at Haba came to us mm-hmm. and said, you know, we'd rather they get calls for all kinds of charitable work. And they they said, you know, we'd rather double down with somebody that we can see can have a larger impact across, right. you know, the community that alone, um, participation, like when we have spielathons and things like that, you know, getting the word out because we tried a virtual one last fall and actually went really pretty well, um, mm-hmm. despite it just being sort of us throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what stuck. Um, well, when, when it looks like all this is getting ready to sort of, uh, you know, ride itself when the ship rides itself yeah. a bit, um, then it, maybe we could have you on either this or on onboard games so that we can have you talk about what can, you know, we as a community and inverse genius as an institution or whatever can, can actually do to help, yeah. uh, you know, mm. when you, when things start moving again a little more quickly. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that would be super, super helpful. And there's so many ways when we can do things face to face that I can think of that would be helpful. But since we're just treading water at this point, it's, I think we can save those until I can say, cause it's, it's just theoretical at this point. I can't say, Hey, come to the warehouse and we can have a punch out party and, you know, get all, get through all these games or come help me box games or, you know, run demos at a library. Mm. Sounds those, exciting. All those things are possible. Just not right now. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Steven, Real quickly, one more time, let us know where you can be found on the internet. Uh, you can find me at thespiel.net, thespielfoundation.com, and majorfun.com. And I'm also on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all those wonderful places, too. Check the show notes. Kathleen, how about you? Oh, well, if you're interested in teaching game design, all my resources are available for free at KathleenMercury.com. And I'm on Twitter at, at Mercury.com with seven M's. And you can find me all over the wilds of the internet as well, Sphio. And of course, check out our other fine shows at InverseGenius.com. Stephen, thank you very much and keep up the good work. Thanks so much, you all. Spiel on. All right. Nice. That's a good tagline. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Games and Schools and Libraries podcast. You can find out more about us and the people who create this show over at InverseGenius.com and all of our other wonderful, wonderful shows, including on board games, on RPGs, the Inverse Genius podcast, and the Room Escape Divas. We are also now joined by the Party Gamecast and Nephilip, who you might remember as Stephanie, previous co-host here on the Games and Schools and Libraries podcast, and our friend, Lynn Theory. Thank you for listening. Games and Schools and Libraries is produced in association with the Georgetown County Library System.